Hello, Purple People. Giles here with a quick reminder that you can get more from Something Rhymes with Purple by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts. For £1.79 a month, you can get all the regular episodes of the show ad-free. There are exclusive discount codes for our merchandise ranges, and you can get access to extended cuts of regular episodes with lots of extra word origins and even anecdotes, as well as a suite of one-off bonus episodes, including highlights of recent live show recordings and deep dives into language lagoons like the shipping forecast. So, if you want more purple and you want to support us on the show, then go to Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're using the most up-to-date version of the app and sign up today. There's no better day. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Something Rhymes with Purple. Or we could say Something Rhymes Strictly Come Dancing, which is a very clunky way of saying that Giles and I are going to talk about ballroom today because we are in the UK in Strictly Come Dancing season. It's a hugely popular ballroom dancing competition where celebrities are paired with professional dancers to compete for the Glitter Ball Trophy and it's fair to say that it absolutely takes the nation by storm. It captivates everybody no matter what age and uh, it's leading me to the inevitable question after saying hello to Giles as to whether he's ever been asked to compete. Hi Giles. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining us, purple people. Well, Susie, the answer, the short answer is yes, several times. I thought so. You say, of course, Strictly Come Dancing captures everybody's heart. It doesn't. Millions tune in, millions and millions and millions. It's one of the most watched programmes in the UK. But some people loathe it, can't stand it. The sequins, the the phony glitz and glamour. Some people really hate it. Just bearing that in mind, just to give it some context, I do love it. In fact, this last week, I was a guest on something called Strictly It Takes Two. It's so popular in this country. It's on BBC One. On BBC Two, in the early evening, five nights a week, they have a kind of spin-off show. And I was a guest on that with Ranveer Singh, who took part last year, and with a friend of mine, uh, the sometime child star, Hayley Mills. Um, Yeah. yeah, Who the older listeners will know immediately who I mean. Uh, Hayley Mills was a huge international star in the late 1950s, early 1960s, won an Oscar, Films like Tiger Bay, Whistle Down the Wind, Pollyanna, The Parent Trap. She became huge. Anyway, she turned up on Strictly It Takes Two. And we were celebrating the show. I have said no to it in the past, and would again, for the reason of vanity. I I couldn't face the humiliation of being the first person out. Uh, In my head, I'm Fred Astaire. In fact, I'm Fred Flintstone. I mean, I just can't (laughs) move my feet. I have no sense of rhythm. I've attempted to dance a couple of times in pantomime. I remember a routine I did in Cinderella with the great Bonnie Langford, who's a brilliant dancer. The first time we did it, you know, in front of the audience, having rehearsed it for weeks, she ended up facing front. I was facing back. She thought that was very funny. Keep it in. The next night, I couldn't I couldn't manage to face the wrong way even. I then started facing the right way. Hopeless, hopeless dancer. And the idea of being booted off at the end of the first week is just humiliating. So I, I'm sparing myself the embarrassment. What about you? Have you been asked? And what have you said? No, I don't think I've ever been asked officially. We have... On Countdown, the the show that I work on, we have had a few Strictly, or members of the Strictly professional crew. So we've had the lovely Anton Dubeck on, for example. And uh, he kind of asked me, 
whether I would like to go on. And I said, absolutely not. For the reasons that I can only ever dance if it's completely dark and no one can see me or if I'm very drunk. And I don't think either of those would be possible on a Strictly Come Dancing. But the thing that I think would alarm me most of all is just remembering the choreography. I have no idea how people remember how to do these things. But for anyone who has young kids at the moment, they will know that the TikTok dance crazes are equally compulsive for the sort of younger generation. And somehow they managed to get them within three or four watches. And then they just sort of perform these things, which can actually be quite complicated. I'm, I'm absolutely in awe of those. So yeah, I think we have, in that case, four left feet who won't be going near the Strictly Come Dancing floor. But we wanted to go there today, A, because obviously it's such a big thing in the UK at the moment, but also because we haven't really talked about dances and dance styles and where yeah. the, the names of the dance genres come from. So that's what we thought we would have a look at today. It's a very good subject to touch on. And you said, of course, we're going to go to the ballroom, but also we're going to go to Latin. <laughs> because a lot of the dances that they do on this are Latin American dances. Uh, Latin, yeah. I think, being short for Latin American. Uh, and then maybe some of them have Latin in the language as their roots. You talk about it being a UK phenomenon. And, of course, it was based, Strictly Come Dancing, on an earlier program, which was simply called Come Dancing, which I yes. remember from my childhood was much more genteel. And now it's gone global. I mean, I love the show and I love dancing. And I did once go to a fancy dress party dressed as a handbag so that people would dance around me. And they did. <laughs> All right. I love that. That's fantastic. So, Susie, if we begin in the ballroom, the ball, the dance, ballroom, what's the origin mm. of that? Well, some people will tell you that it uh, may be because the sort of early dance floors were quite uh, circular, these kind of grand, wonderful rooms. If you look in the OED, it will tell you that it's actually probably from ballet, which was an old French verb meaning to dance, in which case there might there be a sibling with ballad and music, etc. But as we know, balls were incredibly important in, uh, in the sort of the social calendar and still are actually in universities, aren't they? Up and down the land. If you go to a ball, it's something very special. Well, let's begin with the ballroom dancing. We can come on mm. to Latin later. Ballroom yeah. dancing, the, the most famous, the most obvious is the waltz. What is the origin of the word waltz? Yes. So we think of it as being quite stately today, don't we? So it's been around since the late 18th century and it began in Germany and Austria, which is why it's called the waltz, because the word comes from waltzen in German, which means to, to revolve. So anybody who's been to a fun fair and goes on the waltzer will know that it will probably make you feel sick because it's spinning around so much. Then its popularity grew into England and North America. But when I say popular, it was quite scandalous because moralizers really worried about it. It was a bit like the twerking of its day in the 19th century. And the London Times, this is in 1816, commented on the new dance that all the kids were wild about and said that it had previously been confined to prostitutes and adulteresses and blamed its introduction on some worthless and ignorant French dancing master. So dripping with condemnation there. And same in North America. The Southern Literary Messenger asked, can our beloved wives and daughters beloved because still uncontaminated by foreign corruptions can they suffer themselves to be continually whirled about in all the giddy exciting mazes of the licentious waltz like so many french or italian opera girls without impairing or losing all self-respect 
can I say how completely I understand this? Because oh, do you? Pr- yes, I completely. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm almost sympathetic to it because until the advent of this kind of uh, one-on-one dancing that the waltz yeah. epitomizes, what you had was country dancing. Uh, group dancing, team dancing, Scottish dancing, where, as it were, it was a communal activity. People at the ball would line up, all the boys on one side, all the girls on the other, and they would go through a kind of uh, ritual dance where uh, people were dancing as a group. Mm-hmm. Do, can you you visualize the kind of dancing I I'm can. meaning? Yeah. You know, people still do. It's very popular. Like line in, dancing or something like, today. Like line dancing or yeah. Scottish country dancing, you know, the Gay yeah. Gordons, uh, different kinds of Highland dance. And that was yeah. a charming communal activity. Then what happened was the advent of this kind of intimate uh, one-on-one dancing. And maybe some people took advantage of it. People obviously enjoyed the the, the, the closer contact, one person with another person. But it did, the, the downside of it is that it meant that if you weren't somebody that people wanted to dance with, you then suddenly became a wallflower, which is another uh. expression that we I associate with the ballroom. Somebody who, a wallflower, is sitting against the wall. Nobody is going to ask them to dance. Whereas yeah. previously, everybody who went to the dance could take part in the dance. Suddenly, uh, you know, people are paired off. So that, that's my take on it. What do you think of that? Oh, that's no, that's really interesting. I mean, I find it fascinating what has been considered taboo in centuries past. So tea drinking for a while was considered to be an absolute no-no for the male members of a household. You know, they they should not permit the women of the household to drink tea because they thought it was scandal broth. They thought it encouraged gossip and all sorts of sort of swapping of licentious tales. So it's quite extraordinary, isn't it, that something that today, I mean, I think on Strictly Come Dancing, the waltz is one of the most stately and sort of elegant dancers. but, um, But no. It was seen as being, as you say. Can I salute that phrase, scandal broth? I love it. I'm not going to refer to a cup of tea as a cup of tea ever again. I'm going to say, fancy a little scandal broth with me. (laughs) Well, it's funny because we now talk about spilling the tea, don't we? In um, certainly the lexicon of drag culture, to spill the tea with a capital T is to uh, exchange gossip. So, very, yeah, very good. Okay, good. well, anything goes except when you dance the waltz, you've got to get it right. Uh, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, twelve. I was never any good at the waltz. And the Viennese waltz, what's the difference between a waltz and a Viennese waltz? I know they, they, have, a, they have it on Strictly Come Dancing, they have both of them. What, what, yeah. What's one and what's the other? I think, I'm not an expert on this, but I think that if you can't do the sort of standard waltz, I think you'd struggle with the Viennese because it's a quicker version and and Uh. you spin around a lot more. So there's more waltz and there's more revolutions. Well, let's stick with the ballroom for the moment. Charleston is a ballroom dance? Yes, it is. Oh, I it? love the Charleston. I mean, this is one that if I if I had to do one dance on Strictly and risk everything, this is the one that I would do. I just think the Charleston is fantastic. Does Charleston come from the uh, the town of Charleston in America? It does, yeah. Capital city of Charleston County um, in South Carolina. So it's uh, 1923. So it was developed in the 1920s. And it's just got those fabulous sidekicks, isn't it, from the knee. You can see by my my ridiculous jazz hands here that I get quite excited by the idea of doing the Charleston. I'd have to be very drunk, though, I think. we I can see them because we are looking at each other on Zoom. <laughs> so won't you, Charleston, with me? 
I look, I'm actually moving my shoulders now. <laughs> it's working. This is it, it's working. It's, it's, so yeah. we've done the Charleston. What about the cha cha cha? Cha cha cha. Yeah, that's kind of you know, the timing of the music, isn't it? And I think it's it represents the sound of the feet when you dance the two consecutive quick steps. Cha-cha-cha. Um, and, you know, people will often say cha-cha-cha anyway in time to music, won't they? So I think it's all about the sound, that one. So it's an onomatopoeic word. Onomatopoeic. What does it date back to? The cha-cha-cha is the 1950s. So quite late with that one. The jive. Yeah, so the jive first appears in um, the 1920s. And again, I, I think you'd be quite good at a jive personally. But that one has got a slightly sort of interesting history, actually, because jive originally meant sort of chatter. So like jive talk was kind of lively, brisk chatter, but it was also chatter that could be misleading or pretentious. It was just kind of empty in some way. And so the jive as an adjective, it sort of meant not acting correctly, or it could be sort of deceitful uh, in some way. So it had a sort of an interesting history. And then I guess, because if you're trying to deceive somebody, you are talking quite quickly and uh, trying to sort of, you know, pull the wool over their eyes, it came to mean a fast, lively, sort of slightly tricksy jazz or a swing. And it was first appeared as the title of a gramophone record by someone called Cow Cow Davenport. So apologies, any jazz lover might know exactly who that is. And the title was State Street Jive. And when's that? That was in 1928. 1928? But it became sort of popular in the 1950s. I mean, I think of it as a kind of uh, rock and roll thing, going jiving. Okay. Have you ever done the jive? You must have done the jive. Well, I suppose in the 1950s, 1960s, there were school dances, which I never really enjoyed because of this... Uh, this awkward thing of who do you ask to dance with you. Um, you know, this is why I favour Scottish country dancing, because at least it's all organised and everyone can take <laughs> part. No, the agony of the school dance, yeah. standing around the walls. My school, you know, all the boys stood together and all the girls separately stood together, and then you nervously went forward and asked someone to dance with you, and, and then you might be rejected. The whole thing was all No, it was, it was awful. And line of boys one end, line of girls the other. I mean, oh. there were discos, discos for me school disco so at least it was quite dark horrendous <laughs> looking really, back really really horrendous what about the jitterbug have you ever done the jitterbug no i love the sound of the jitterbug it sounds a bit like a charleston doesn't it is it the same sort of era yes it's kind of it's, it's performed to kind of swing music but i think you can improvise massively to the jitterbug which is why oh, it might suit you or it me. would suit me it would suit me because i i find it so difficult to remember the rules that the trick is the reason that these people do it well is and the younger people is it gets into their muscle memory more quickly they repeat a move and a few times yeah. it's into their muscle memory my muscles are so you know atrophied that it would take weeks for anything to get into my muscle memory so the jitterbug would be perfect for me i could just sort of i could just jitterbug about what's the origin of jitterbug well, jitterbug's quite interesting. So jitterbug is quite similar to the blues in one way. And I will explain. So the blues, if you remember, the music and the sort of feelings of melancholy go back to the idea of being beset by the blue devils. And the blue devils were spirits that were meant to come and torment you, particularly if you were an alcoholic or were coming, you know, coming off alcohol. 
and had the DTs, delirium tremens. And so having the blues was literally to be sort of jittering and shaking with the DTs. And jitterbug was quite similar. So the first meaning of a jitterbug was simply a jittery or a nervous person. So if you've got an attack of the jitters, really. But also it could be someone who was jittery because of too much alcohol use or was kind of kind of coming off and having the jitters as a side effect of withdrawal. It wasn't applied to dance until the early 1940s. But before then, a jitterbug was a jazz musician or a devotee of jazz. And that was just in the 1930s. So 1940s for the dance, as I say, lots and lots of improvising, few standardised steps perhaps, but otherwise you just um, you just went for it. The jitterbug, it's my dance. Litterbug is what I hate. I hate a litterbug. Does jitterbug come before litterbug? I assume one is a spin-off of the other. Yes. Which came first? Uh, jitterbug almost certainly, and uh, litterbug quite soon after actually, late 1940s. So the jitterbug had been around for a decade by then. Let's continue with the Latin dances after our little break. This is something rhymes with purple. We're on the ballroom. Latin, it's not obviously as in Julius Caesar Latin. I assume Latin dancing is, is it Latin American dancing? What is the origin of the expression? Yes, it refers to absolutely, as you say, Latin American dancing. And it's just simply become shorthand for all those dances that originated in Latin America, which, you know, let's face it, is probably... The most productive, I would say, of all the sort of ballroom dances, the rumba, the samba, the cha-cha we've already talked about. So it's the rhythm and the style of music that is characteristic of Latin America and the sort of, you know, the wonderful, broad, sort of, I don't know, spontaneous, open to anything attitude that you will find there. So it's all encompassing, I would say, of the spirit of Latin America. Well, tell me about the tango, first of all. Okay, you'd be good at the tango because for the tango, you have to put on a really mean face, don't you? You have to really enact the narrative. So the tango in the 1890s was a Spanish flamenco dance. And once again, it was seen as being vaguely immoral. So it was cast with the flamenco as being quite sort of vulgar, if you like. And then the 1910s, 1920s, it became this ballroom dance, syncopated ballroom dance that has this slow, gliding movement broken up by pointing positions you always kind of point your arms don't you and and just sort of as I say look very intent and quite mean but originally it was um a dance festival of gypsies and I say gypsy now with it with a capital G because it is a distinct ethnic label now and gypsies so-called if you remember because people thought they came from Egypt and so were quite exotic which in fact wasn't the case but so that's the tango. And the Argentine tango is just, or Argentine tango is just, is one of those, which I think is incredibly dramatic. As I say, you have to fulfill this wonderful role. You mentioned flamenco dancing. Flamenco is a place? So the flamenco, I think that's the late 19th century. And that is the, the it was kind of Spanish again, gypsy style of singing or dancing. Um, it was known as the wild Spanish dance. And its flamboyance meant it was named after the flamingo, you know, with this bright scarlet oh. plumage, quite sort of dramatic gestures. So that's where the word comes from, flamingo. So flamenco dancing is because you're looking like a flamingo. How wonderful. <laughs> yeah. I never knew that. I think you actually uh, look like a flamingo, but you are as flamboyant as one, certainly, and, and ablaze with colour. What's the difference between a sam samba and a rumba? 
so a samba is, um, no one quite knows where that one comes from. I don't, in dance terms, this is why I would be absolutely hopeless because I would not be able to tell you what the difference is between a samba and a rumba. Um, I can tell you etymologically speaking, we don't know where samba comes from, but the rumba is Cuban Spanish for a kind of party, um, which you can totally imagine. Um, and again, I'm doing my jazz hands and you can see how uncoordinated I am. Uh, here, Giles, because I can't even raise my hands in in the correct rhythm. Um, but yeah, samba and rumba. Um, the samba is is Brazilian. I think it was ultimately actually of African origin. Origin, but I couldn't tell you what the difference in steps is. And but you, are you telling me that nobody quite knows the origin of the word samba? First, no, no. Well. Um, we think it's African in origin, but no, sadly, nobody knows. But if, um, as a pu- if there's a purple person out there who does know, do yeah. let us know. I mean, feel free yeah. to get in touch, purple at something else.com. I mean, have you ever, in- can you remember a good dance? Have you ever enjoyed a dance, you, Susie Dent? Can you take me back to a moment when you were happy on the dance floor? Yes, I can. And actually, I was in a department store quite recently and I heard the, the song by Cher, Do You Believe in Life After Love? I don't think that's the real title. And it brought me right back to a fantastic wedding that I went to in Copenhagen when I was young, free and single. I had a weekend to myself in Copenhagen, stayed in a lovely hotel that was uh, right by the harbour and went to a Danish wedding. And at this wedding, I, I don't know if this is the tradition, but the bride and the groom also didn't leave till about six o'clock in the morning. And then we went all went out for a wedding breakfast. But I remember a real moment of happiness dancing to that song by Cher and just not having a care in the world yes one of my last memories of being entirely carefree and as you will know when you have children that kind of slightly disappears because there's always something to worry about but just absolute spontaneity and freedom and that I could do anything I wanted it was it was lovely how about you if there are people listening, you've just heard a significant moment that may affect your whole life. Susie Dent has revealed the truth that if you have children, the worry never goes away. Nor, can I add, does the exhaustion. Uh, Susie Dent and I, since we had children, and we, we are, incidentally, we're not married. Um, to each you know, other. To each other. We are not married <laughs> to each other. Yeah. And never have been. But um, somebody was interviewing me the other day about this podcast, in fact, about our live tours, uh, the live shows we're doing. And they said the most frequently asked question when they went to look us up on Google was, were we married? Which was fantastic. <laughs> it really pleased me. My, I, then, I told my wife this and she said, oh, I'm very surprised. I'm, I thought it would be, is um, Giles Susie's dad? Oh, thank you very much <laughs> no. indeed. There we are. Anyway, I know I am old enough to be your father. Uh, Okay, enough of this nonsense. I can't remember a magical moment on the dance floor, to be honest. At school, uh, with a a girl called Diana, we used to teach ballroom dancing. I don't know why, because I was no good at all at it, but she was very musical, and that was quite fun. The school dances I hated. Subsequently, I don't think I've had a special moment on the dance floor ever. I just, you just reminded me of the absolute horror talking about school discos and things. Not only with, with the sort of, you know, the, the kind of lively dances, not only were they a nightmare in terms of whether you were going to be asked or whatever, but the slow dances at the end, absolute <gasps> worst. Where you're oh, going to be asked were. for a slow dance. <sighs> yeah, Agony. that's none Agony. of that happens anymore. Thank God. 
And the creeping hand. Oh, dear. Oh, oh, don't. The slur- <laughs> Let's oh, not go uh, there. Also, at my school, we had things called excuse me's. Do you know about excuse me? <laughs> and then there was something called a kissing excuse me. And I think the excuse me <laughs> is you could tap. There was a sort of boy's excuse me and then a girl's excuse me. And if it was a boy's excuse me, the, a boy could go up to somebody and tap them on the shoulder and get rid of the male oh, yes. and yeah, take yeah, over. Yeah. And the girl took the that, reverse. May I cut in? Yes. Yes. May, uh, but then there was something called a kissing excuse me. I don't like to. <laughs> think what what kind of a school was that where they had a kissing excuse me oh dearie me okay let's oh, let's so move funny. swiftly on to the pasadoble do you know anything about the pasadoble okay. yeah that just means double step in spanish uh, because it's oh. very fast paced and apparently often played at bullfights which um is not at all my cup of tea but no. i think Giles, if you're going to do one either the jitterbug or the tango because i just think you could do that mean mean look and what about a spray tan would you ever have a spray tan I would love to have a spray tan. I want all of that. I want all the help I can get. And the sequins. I love the sequin. Oh, sequin. What is the origin of the word mm. sequin? Um, well, sequin, obviously, are the small, really shiny discs that you sew on for a decoration. But actually, first of all, they meant a very shiny coin because it comes from the Italian zecchino, which in turn goes back to an Arabic word, meaning a, a dye or a sort of mould It was used for producing coins. So from shiny coins to shiny decorative discs. But yeah, they were Venetian, I think, originally, and gold. Well, speaking of all that glitters is not gold, mm. ah, glitter. Glitter, where does that come from? The glitter ball we have, things that yes. glitter, glister, glitter, is the same word? Yeah, things have glittered since around the 14th century, I would say, and it comes from an old Norse, so you would not associate the Vikings with glitter, but this is where it comes from. And there were glitter, which I think simply meant sort of you know, glistening or shining. And all that glitters is not gold. That dates back to at least the 13th century. But as you say, Shakespeare uses it as, he, he uses it as glisters, doesn't he? All that he glisters does. is not gold. Yeah. And that's just a, a variant of the word. And when we talk about something being glitzy, which Strictly Come Dancing definitely was, that was based on glitter, perhaps with a bit of ritzy thrown in. Good. Well, it takes two to tango. Ah, it takes two to tango. These dances have got into the currency of everyday expressions. It takes two to tango. Is it an old expression? Yes. So um, takes two to tango means that you haven't achieved this on your own. And quite often you would say, well, it takes two to tango. In other words, well, they contributed to this often in a negative way. Um, but that actually originated in a song of that exactly that name uh, written by Al Hoffman and Dick Manning in the 1950s. Takes two to tango. I'd like to trip the light fantastic mm. with you, Susie. Oh. It might work. If I dance with you, we'd laugh, and that would be a good thing. Tripping the oh. light fantastic. What, what's, what's the origin of that expression? Oh, well, that actually goes back to John Milton and a poem oh. he wrote, and it's come and trip it as you go on the light fantastic toe. And oh. fantastic in this sense means just extremely... Well, quite extravagant, so quite sort of fancy, if you like. And uh, to trip is to dance rather than to fall over, as you and I would do. Can you give me that line from Milton again? I'm a great Milton fan. I don't yes. know the line. Yes, come and trip it as you go on the light, fantastic toe. I love that. That's fantastic. Cool, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, well, you've made me feel, talking about dancing, quite sort of footloose and fancy-free. 
Ah, Footloose oh. and Fancy Free. Tell me about that. Just remind me of that song, Footloose. So Footloose goes back to the 1650s. So what it actually referred to originally was that of an animal that wasn't shackled, didn't have loggers on them, which were, you know, sort of, I don't know, they would kind of big blocks of wood that meant they were sort of hobbled or tied up, so not particularly nice. Oh. And then to turn them Footloose was to, you know, to liberate them. And so... If so these were like slaves. These were people who were compelled to work and they were, or were they prisoners? What were... What was the... Well, it was mostly animals, to be honest, um, and yeah, rather than people who were shackled, but still pretty horrible. And then the idea of that you were foot loose, you were able to do as you pleased because you had been liberated. And foot loose and fancy free goes back to the um, 1870s, and the first record is from a gazette in Arkansas and it says footloose fancy free but of marriageable age bit of a reminder that they better get on with it <laughs> well of course that's what these these early dances were all about weren't they these sort of uh, dances that you have in uh, the balls in novels by Jane Austen it was a kind of marriage market where the young women and the young men were introduced so the marriageable age element is quite important mm. now listeners you're not likely ever to see Susie Dent and Giles Brandreth dancing in public so uh, I'm sorry about that. But if you would like to uh, let us know what your favourite dance is, or if you've got any queries about the world of dance, the origins of words in that, or if you want to share with us a happy moment from the dance floor, the time you encountered somebody for the very first time on a dance floor, please do let us know. You can get in touch, purple at somethingelse.com, and it's something without a G, purple at somethingelse.com. It's funny that I'm so inept at dancing when I love watching it. For me, seeing somebody like Fred Astaire with one of his many dance partners on the silver screen is just to be swept away. And then there was a, also a, um, a team, a family called the Nicholas Brothers, who were amazing tap dancers. To watch old movies from the 1930s and 1940s of these people dancing is magic, and yet I can't do it. Shame. No, it's funny, isn't it? And you often tweet these little wonderful vignettes from uh, Fred Astaire or Ginger Rogers, etc., and they're really happifying, I have to say. Um, yeah, well, they lift the spirits. Just need to close the curtains, Giles, and, and give it a practice. And anyone tuning in at this point will wonder what on earth we're talking about. But yeah. I, as I say, think you will be excellent at the tango. Um, I'm sticking with that. Should we have a look at some of the emails that have been sent in by the fabulous purple people? Yes. Who's been in touch this week? Uh, we have heard from Lauren in New Zealand, whose mum uses the word chore for a lolly or a sweet, e.g. shall we have a chore? And she's never been able to figure out where it came from. And Lauren says, we're from New Zealand, so I'm wondering whether it's an obscure British dialect thing from back in the day that's been mixed in with the rest and the origin lost. So Lauren, you've set me off on a trail here and I haven't reached the end of it because you mentioned <coughs> lolly and sweet. I knew that in Australia and New Zealand, what we would call a sweet, you call a lolly. We reserve lolly or lollipop for the things on sticks that you that you lick. And that's exactly where it comes from, the idea of licking and an old dialect verb. But I did not know that a chore could be used for this. So I need to enlist the help, Giles, of the purple people, because I've never heard chore used for what the Americans would call a piece of candy uh, and what we would call uh, a sweet. I can tell you about the other chore. So that chore is linked to the word char, meaning a turn of work or an odd job. And of course, we had char ladies, didn't we, once upon a time? If you've got chore from char, 
Is it possible you could have chaw meaning something to sweet, to, you know, from a mixture of chew and jaw to oh, chaw? interesting. Uh, you know, something to pop in your mouth, something to chew It's an on. old portmanteau. Maybe. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm just throwing it up as an, an idea. Well, we have lots of listeners in New Zealand, and so there may be some yes. professor of etymology there, the Kiwi version of Susie Dent, who could get in touch and give us the answer. Purple at something else dot com. Well, I want thank to you. throw in yes. something here, which is if you say that the door is ajar, which is a really odd turn of phrase, isn't it? If your door's ajar, it's open. And that actually goes back to a different sense of char. It used to be a char, and a char was a turn. So again, if you talk, think about a chore being a turn of work, uh, and that goes back to char, this char meant a turn or a sort of twist of some kind. So the door is sort of slightly turned inwards. And that, in turn, is behind Charing or Charing Cross in London because Charing Cross is located at a turn of the river. Wow. When is a door not a door? When it's a jar. When it's a jar. Uh, Eleanor Tomlin has been in touch as the penny drops. What is the origin of the saying, when the penny dropped, and variations of it? I heard Salvador Dali would hold a penny over a tray when he went to sleep. He would wake up when the penny dropped and paint Mm. in the moment. However, the OED states it comes from slot machines, mechanisms becoming jammed, while Google refers to public toilets requiring a penny payment to use. What are your thoughts? Uh, She has more than thoughts, I have to tell you, uh, Eleanor. Uh, Susie has facts. Perhaps your enlightenment will make the penny drop, says Eleanor, a new purple person. Welcome. Yes, welcome. So you know what I'm going to say, Giles. I'll always side with the OED. And it says quite definitively that it was used in reference to the mechanism of a penny in the slot machine. 1939 and the Daily Mirror is its first record. But what did we used to use the pennies for? What What did you get if you put a penny in the slot? Well, you would go to the fun fair and there'll be a whole load of machines giving you various things. If you were a child, an innocent child like me, you might put your penny in in the hope of when it clicked, you could pull a little a table out and there you get a gobstopper or a sweet oh, or a yes, toy of some that. kind. Or yeah. even you put a penny in the slot machine and then you'd have a chance, 10 seconds of working a kind of mechanical grab to attempt to yes. catch a Still teddy bear. And they never grab anything. And they never seem to grab anything. Or if you were a cheeky person like my father, you'd put the penny in the slot and it would be a what the butler saw machine. (gasps) And you'd peer into a screen and there would be a a cheeky um, little film of uh, the lady of the house uh, getting ready for bed and you'd be be watching her getting into her nightie um, or indeed out of her nightie. So there were all sorts of things that, and and of course then the the penny penny dropped, you you then saw all this cheeky stuff and your what the butler saw machine. Yes, so so the figurative idea, of course, is that a situation or or a statement has finally been understood because the penny has finally dropped into the mechanism and you get what you you came for. And uh, there was mention there as well, I think Eleanor mentioned that Google refers to lose, requiring a penny payment to use. That is where we get to spend a penny from, which is quintessentially British expression of um, going to the loo, you're spending a penny, because that's exactly what it used to cost. You, in your head, carry the most voluminous vocabulary of any person that I know. Would you share with us now, Susie Dent, three interesting words that you would like us to have as our take-home words this week? Yes. Well, this is not to be confused with my statement that I can only dance in the dark, but it's, it's kind of got darkness in it, and that's to grovel. 
And to grovel is old dialect for searching with the hand in any dark place. Ooh. But by that, I mean your handbag, your pocket. You're just groveling around looking for, well, usually finding fluff or worse. But actually, you're looking for something really important like your train ticket. That's groveling. It's a useful word to grovel, yeah. to yes. fumble about in the dark with your hand. Another one? <laughs> now, if you do something sticklebutt in Yorkshire, you certainly used to do it headlong, so really impetuously or with great impetuosity. And not, not to be confused with scuttlebutt, which is gossip. This is sticklebutt, headlong. And uh, as I say, just not thinking, just going for it, which I think is what we need to do when it comes to dancing. And my third one is one of a huge lexicon that we have in English dialect for being a bit grumpy, a bit cantankerous, a bit just mm, um, grumptious. If you're mm. feeling grumptious, you are just a little bit irritable and probably irritating as well. Is it like grumpy, but shush at the end? Grumpy, grumptious. Grumptious. So you've got a touch of the grumps, you're, you're grumpy. Exactly. Is, is it but, the same, um, same origin? Dialect, dialect has loads of those. Um, I can't actually remember. I think this is uh, up north where they also have things like carnaptious as well, which is brilliant. Thank you to everyone for listening. Um, please do keep your emails coming and we would love to know more and your experiences of ballroom dancing and uh, of those particular dances that we touched on. So please do get in touch purple at somethingelse.com. Something Rhymes with Purple is a Something Else production produced by Lawrence Bassett and Harriet Wells with additional production from Steve Ackerman, Jen Mystery, Jay Beale. And he's, well, he's here today. I know, golly, grobbling away in the background.